point I'm making here is, Bill, I got this rat, this annoying, cheating fucking rat. And it brings up questions. You know, see, Bill, like, you're the new guy. Girlfriend. Why don't you stay in the bar? That night I got your numbers. Social security numbers. Yeah. Everybody's fucking numbers. Is that, is that something that you just want to go ahead and ask me? Because I'll give you the fucking answer, all right? Frank, look at me. Look at me. I'm not the fucking rat, okay? I'm not the fucking rat. Start with you agree there is a rat. You said there is one, all right? I base most of what I do on the idea that you're pretty fucking good at what you do. Sure. Sure, but you, William, what would you do? Hi, everybody. I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome back to 15-Minute Film Fanatics. This is the podcast where Mike and I watch movies separately and talk about them on the show for the first time. This week, we're doing a request, Mike. It's actually, we had two requests for this movie, one from a guy named Tom in Florida and another guy named Frank in New Jersey. So um, they both said, you've got to do this movie. We're very excited. Mike and I both love this movie, but ironically, have never talked to him about it before. Mike, what movie are we doing today? The Departed. Very good. Martin Scorsese's great 2006 film um, with the screenplay by William Moynihan based upon the film Infernal Affairs. So, Mike, you want to go first? You want me to go first? How you want to start? I I absolutely love this movie and I don't mind saying it. I think we mentioned it briefly on the show in our very first episode when we were talking about The Irishman. And I said that Martin Scorsese can still make movies. Uh, The Departed wasn't that long ago and it's a great movie. And I think that I was alluding to some things that I want that I want to talk about, but overall, I'm just surprised by how watchable this movie is. I watched it with somebody who characterized it as a boy movie uh, and was sucked in by it about 15 minutes later, could not stop watching it. And I think that the performances, apart from anything in the structure, that the performances are so electric. I we all know that Matt Damon can act. You know, if you had to rank the top six most popular actors of the last 16 years he would certainly be among them and he's got blockbuster films coming out today so it's it's interesting and funny to watch him get dunked on scene after scene after scene by leonardo dicaprio leonardo dicaprio is on fire i mean you can say what you want about the guy but in in this film particularly uh, that is the heart and soul of American acting. That is well, they all are. It's great. I mean, they all are. We t- when we take them for granted, but everybody in this movie brings brings their A game. I mean, I mean, uh, and by the way, if you haven't seen it yet, we're going to give you a million spoilers. So, um, I think that uh, watching this film, and I also watched it with somebody who had never seen it before, who sat um, with their hand over her mouth the whole time. Um, watching this movie is like watching, you know, the finale of 10 seasons of the most intense show you've ever seen, but you haven't seen the first 98 episodes or whatever. You're like the Google maps guy dropped into this movie. And literally as soon as the Google maps guy hits, hits the streets of Boston, you're in it. Um, I think it's, it's great because it asks, it does it both. It's a great cop show, but it also asks a lot of great fundamental questions about identity and about loyalty and where your loyalty should lie. Um, a friend of mine used to say, one of his great lines he used to say was this, why would anybody make movies about anything other than criminals? And that was a joke, but it's, it's, there's a certain element of truth to that. And I thought of that when I watched Departed because it, it, it reminds you about 
why criminals are so great to see in movies is because it's life of the extremes. Everybody in this movie is at the absolute extreme of, of where they're going to go, including, you know, Matt Damon and Mark Wahlberg and Martin Sheen and Jack Nicholson. Everybody is, is at their full extremity. And, and people think about the violence in this movie, but there's a lot of emotional violence too, which I think makes it so, propel so quickly. Yeah. And to your point, what happens when you're in extremists? You get your last rights. And that's what this movie is saturated with. It's absolutely saturated. Yeah. There's unbelievable imagery in this movie. It's not just it's not just the structure. What I'm what I'm really struck by is how every shot in that apartment is framed with the with Beacon Hill in the background, which is so beautiful. What I'm struck by is how they take that dinky office, which is supposed to be the state police detective headquarters, and they turn it into the pit of hell. There, it's so fascinating what can be done with a camera. And of course, it's Martin Scorsese. So you don't you don't assume he's going to leave well alone. But there are even some tricks with the camera that in, in the hands of somebody else, I would say, are cheesy. But I'm really bought into in this film. Now, this is our second film in our Whack-A-Mole series. And it's funny because we did Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. And of, of course, it occurred to me watching this is this is like the American version of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, right? We're going to we're going to do it bigger. We don't have one mole. We've got two moles and the two moles are working against each other. And, and so everything is 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 squared from that film. As far as I'm concerned, too, this is the crown jewel for Jack Nicholson. I can't think of a modern performance that he did before that that was this that was this electric and i certainly can't think of one immediately afterwards this is uh his his personality it, he's playing another one of these characters writ large but it's different from what made him famous in the first place and it's so believable and we've talked about this a few times on the show i think that what makes him so scary is the unpredictability of what he's going to do there are things that he does with his voice things that he does with his face which are movie moments uh, in and of themselves. Yeah, the whole uh, restaurant scene, the whole but, restaurant scene where he's grilling him what, about being about being the rat, and he does the he makes the rat face, yeah. which is which is unbelievable when he beats uh when he beats his arm with the boot to yeah. ask if he's going to do any more <laughs> drug deals with with his cousin with his cousin. the The whole thing is, is brilliant, and then finally throwing him the money at the end just it, it makes you feel so dirty. Yeah. Well, what's what's also brilliant, you're talking about Jack Nicholson's performance and you mentioned Matt Damon's performance before. The other great thing about this film that that makes you just so in awe of it and how well written it is, is that it's a, it's a movie with great actors playing people who are acting. So every character is also putting on a performance. And you see that to be like when Mark Wahlberg is chewing him out when, when he first comes to the office and he's chewing out Leonardo DiCaprio, he's putting on a performance to see how Billy's going to respond to all, to see if he can take it. If this is going to be the guy that they send in. And it reminded me of that, that joke in Shakespeare in love. When, when someone asks the nurse, what's the, what's Romeo and Juliet about? And he's like, well, it's about a nurse. And if you asked everybody in this film, you know, what is this movie about? They'd all have different answers, right? So Dingham would say, it's about this punk recruit I tried to mold into a good cop, right? Queenie would say, it's about this confused rookie. Um, Costello would be, oh, the movie's about my struggle to control Boston. So all these people are putting on performances in like a, a, a double layer, if that makes any sense. Except for Dingham, the the great thing about Mark Wahlberg is that he has zero range, but there it just happens to be a Mark Wahlberg shaped hole right in the center of this movie where he fits, which is great.
Okay, so in part two, we like to talk about key scenes or big moments that are indicative of the themes of the film as a whole. Dan, why don't you go first? So my my moment is one that I think epitomizes the experience of watching the film, but also the experience of the people in it, if that makes any sense. And that's when Leonardo DiCaprio, early in the film, was at the bar. He orders the cranberry juice. The other guy says, oh, you're on your period. And he takes the glass and smashes it in the guy's face. Now, the, the first time you see that, the first time you watch this film, that is such, that is like a, a, a the ice bucket challenge. You can't believe you just saw it because it happens so fast. And I think that's interesting for two reasons. One, it's interesting because that's how everything happens in this film. Every plot twist, and, and there's got to be 10 or 12 of them, right? Comes at you absolutely out of the blue. It, you know, it, it happens so fast. Like when um when he, when Jack Nicholson hits his arm with the boot, with the work boot, are you a cop, right? When when Martin Sheen gets thrown off the roof, when when Jack Nicholson gets killed, um, when Matt Damon um knifes the guy in Chinatown when he's running around the corner, like every single when when Leonardo DiCaprio gets killed and Every single thing gets comes out of the blue. It happens so fast because, again, it's that it's that it's that sense of like you're constantly at the edge of terrible violence and in this world, and you never know when it's going to break out. Like the, the top of the boiling water, it, the lid is always rattling, and you're just wondering when it's going to blow off. The second reason that's so interesting is that when you watch the film and you know what's going on, you know that he had to do that because he's putting on a show of being a badass like he does later when he beats up the guys in the convenience store. But it shows you that for all of the fun of watching undercover films, and we, you know, we love James Bond pretending to be a millionaire, like, you know, a tycoon or something like that, like going undercover is always seen as glamorous in these films. It's always seen as kind of like interesting, like you get to be somebody else, but here you get to see what it's like when somebody gives up his identity. And that's uh, that moment where he says, I want my identity back. And they say, okay, you could be a cop. He's like, no, I don't want to be a cop. Like, I, I don't I want my identity back. But, but by that point, he doesn't know who he is anymore. At one point he says, I've been doing this for a year, <laughs> right? And so it, it's about the shedding of his person to try to get closer to, to, to complete a job for a department that he no longer really believes in. And that certainly isn't looking out for him. The other interesting thing is that he's pretending to be another version of himself, which is actually in there, right? Because we all know that his family, you were right. You or I, we can't just freak out on two strangers and kick their ass in a convenience store, you know, and, and walk away. Right. So there, so the underlying capability has always been there. He's, or in other words, he's a submerged person. He's almost like, it's like a Jungian shadow. And it's just like, you, you have to become that and let it out because it's been sitting there dormant the whole time. And you start to like, when you piece it together and you watch the film again, that's what he wants to do to his uncle. Remember when he says, when my mother dies, you and I are not connected. Now he manages to get the words out, but in his brain, I'm sure what's happening is what's happening to those two guys in the convenience store. And so his, his job to go undercover, to be somebody he's not is to be somebody that he is. Yeah. And that's why he was picked. That's why Mark Wahlberg knows his whole life story and about all his relatives. Like he's like, that's why he's the guy. He when he says, "What makes you think you're a cop?" Because he's trying to like needle him and say, "No, you're really something else." And that something else is what comes out. And my other favorite thing about this film is that I mean, it's two and a half hours plus tax, but it feels like a regular ninety minute movie. It's got no spare weight on it at all. And I think that one of the fun things that I like about it is that do you remember what uh, Mr. French says to him when the guy is laying on the ground? No. He says there's guys you can hit and there's guys guys you can't can't. hit. And he's not exactly a guy you can't hit, 
but he's not exactly a guy you can. So I'm making a fucking ruling on this right now. You don't fucking hit him. And so there's just a lot of assumed rules. You like, right. you really just like anything, just like Harry Potter or anything else structurally, when you step into another world, there's a lot of exposition and learning of its rules that you learn through characters. And I think that that's one of the things that makes this movie so enjoyable. So what was your moment? So my moment is when he finds out that Frank is actually an FBI informant and he goes to Queenan's house at night to tell him. And so Queenan has him in the house and is showing it awkwardly giving him the ice water and yeah. showing him the picture. Well, first he says, go around the back. You got to go around the back. <laughs> and finally, when they're there together, he says, you know, my wife went to bed, but she left some supper. Why don't you have come and have something to eat? Because a lot of this movie is about legacy and fatherhood but with no son's present, right? The, the son is at Notre Dame or Matt Damon, um, when he's finally got Frank Hid, he says, is that what this is about? All the lying and the stealing and the fucking and no kids. And finally, that, that's, when he, that's when he kills him. It's the one paternal gesture in the movie. So you said something interesting earlier. You said that it's, it's a department that he no longer believes in, but I think that there's a person that he believes in. I yes. think that that it's very much a cult of personality, right? That, uh, this is very much about, you know, they say you could be a criminal, you can be a cop. I say when you're staring down a loaded gun, what's, what's the, difference? the difference? But it, it works in the reverse way too, because it, Queenan is as much a cult of personality unto himself as Frank is on the other side. To get people to do things at the extremes of their personality that they wouldn't do, but one uses fear, but the other uses is uses love and it's not even necessarily a manipulative love. I think he means it. I think no, he too, feels, yeah. uh, I think he feels paternal. And I think Leonardo DiCaprio feels a filial sense of duty uh, in that same way, but it's, it's kind of what makes the movie stick together, right? There there's, there's a gimmick in movies where you think, why doesn't he just walk away from that? I would walk away from that, right? He's at the airport and you go, yeah, that's the logical, the logical place to be is Logan airport and fly as far away as you can possibly get. But of course, you know, true to form, he doesn't. He comes in, he has yet another meeting, and that's when hit that stickiness is reaffirmed. Yeah, and, and Queen's the only guy he can talk to. He's the only guy he trusts. And and I think that there's just there's just something strange and interesting about the one father-son moment because it feels so it feels so weird and it draws a lot of attention to itself, but it's very short moment. It lasts yeah. maybe 30 seconds, but there's something emotionally going on where that's the heart of the film, both structurally it's right in the middle. And I think uh, in its themes. And as you remember, when he shows up at Queenan's house, I mean, Queenan lives in the, lives in this nice suburb house. He's got it made right. And, and DiCaprio has been living under, you know, underground for a year. And he goes, and I, and if I remember correctly, Martin Sheen has like a bag of groceries or something like he's coming home from the store, like he's doing domestic things that, that Billy's not able to do, but he's got to talk to somebody. It's like that moment. in it's a wonderful life. When, the, when the kid doesn't know what to do about the pharmacist and he sees the billboard that says, ask dad, he knows he's, it's the one guy he can go to, but you're right. It's, I think it's a, it's an, it's a great, uh, moment because it's it's tender and but it's very very short-lived the movie's not about to get not about to go down that road or and put another way do you remember where queen and kid goes to college why he's not at home does he go to Notre dame yeah do you remember what shirt frank is wearing when he gets shot Notre dame Notre dame so yep. that i think that the whole movie really yep. revolves around that moment it's at the center of the of the universe of the movie 
Yeah. And of course, there's that the, the first scene where Jack Nicholson meets Matt Damon as a kid, when Jack Nicholson is still shadowed to make him younger, of course, you know, he gives him the food and he says, you like comic books? And that's that's such a dad thing. Let me buy some comic books. There you go. So there's there's these gestures about fatherhood, but um, how those gestures are taken ends up in, in down going down different roads. Well, I, and just even not even to put too fine a point on it, though, I know that the moment is genuine. But at the same time, you wouldn't let your son do what he's doing either. So he's bringing in, here's some cold water. Here's some dinner. Now get your ass back out. Right. Okay, so welcome back. So of course, in our last segment, we talk about the ending, big takeaways, the title, etc. Dan. There's a lot to say about the title. I think that's very interesting. Um, my big takeaway, though, watching it this time is that, and and you know, I don't know how far I want to push this, but I, I think I could push this pretty far. The thing that I like so much about this film is that it's it's not structured like other mole hunt movies that that we've seen and that we love. I actually feel after I done watching it, and I was emotionally exhausted. I was I was really thinking about this. I'm like, what is it like? And it's like watching a Shakespearean tragedy. And I'm not trying to be cute. Like, I really, really believe that. You have a hero who struggles with the world, right? So he's like Hamlet. Hamlet says Denmark's an unweeded garden. And that, you know, Hamlet tries to weed the garden. He tries to do something that's going to, oh, curse it, spite that ever I was born to set it right. He's going to do the right thing, only to find that he, he can't unweed the garden. The most he gains is an understanding of how the garden works. The most a, a Shakespearean tragic hero gets is some kind of new understanding about what the world is really like. Now, they pay for it. With, with it might be madness or it might be um, you know an emotional extreme like Othello. I said madness like Lear, and I think that you know the in this movie, just like in those plays, the hero clears his head, and he sees what's going on. He understands everything, but then when he does, it's too late, and he's met with a wave of death. This wave of death comes in. So when he is on the roof. And he's, you know, and he's ready to go and he's going to, and he's already sent out the, 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 you know, the evidence and he's going to, he's, I'm going to bring you in. You're not a cop anymore. I'm going to bring you in and he's going to do the right thing. And, he, and, uh, and he's going to be, you know, Kane in high noon or something. Um, we admire Billy just as we admire people like Brutus and Hamlet. You know, we admire them for trying to rise up. And, and like, we hope against hope that Othello won't kill Desdemona. We, uh, Desdemona. we hope against hope that he'll, he'll know about Iago earlier, but he's not. And just when you watch The Departed, the first time you see it, you're so shocked that Leonardo DiCaprio gets killed and killed so quickly because that's not supposed to happen. That is not supposed to happen in this movie. It's Billy's movie. He's supposed to uh, he's supposed to be the Hamlet that lives and he's not. And I think that the movie is so great because you side with him just the way you side with one of those characters and you see what the world is really like and you're exhausted when it's over and you're not you know, you're kind of disgusted by the villain. Frank Frank Costello gets what he deserves. But I think there's something very admirable about what Billy tries to do by setting the world right. And he literally gives himself up. He gives his life. Because because another attitude would be, just walk away. What do you care what Frank Costello, like you said, he's at the airport. Just get on the plane, get out of here. But he's like, no, Hamlet can leave, you know. Um, but he can't leave because it's wrong and he wants to do the right thing. And I think I think that there's something very moving and admirable about that. Yeah, it's it's one of the few love scenes too in a movie that seems noble rather than rather than selfish. You feel glad 
for these two characters that they're able to recognize one another. And that that moment of recognition happens when when she asks him, she says, you know, you seem very vulnerable right now. And he says, uh-huh. And yeah. he and he, she says, is it genuine? And he says, I think so. That's the closest that he's able yeah. to come back to his to his own identity. And of course, they don't they make something lasting in the sense that she's pregnant. But it, of course, it's not lasting because, as you said, that's the closest that he's going to get to understanding how the garden works. That moment is like his to be or not to be speech. I mean, that that is that that's as close as he's going to get to it. So so what's your takeaway on the ending of the title? Well, so you texted me one thing and I, I want to pick pick up on this because. You're 100 percent right that the movie is shaped in such a way that you must side with Billy. Only a sociopath could watch this movie and think, I don't know what's wrong with that Billy guy, what he's up to. You, you want to like him. You want to see the movie from his perspective because you must. So let me ask you a leading question that's going somewhere uh, that, that you, you did text me one comment about the, the, ap- the actual final shot. So let me ask you, between the death of Billy and the end of the movie, there's about 10 or 11 minutes, which you wouldn't, which you wouldn't expect. So what was your gripe with the end of the movie? And if Billy is the heart and soul of the movie, why does the movie not end when Billy dies? Well, I, my gripe was just to fill in the listeners. First of all, it wasn't really, really a gripe. I mean, for me to gripe about The Departed is, you know, that's who am I? I mean, you know, come on. My, my, I, I sent my text to Mike a joke and I said, um, it's funny that the digitized rat on the railing at the end struck me as, you know, I'm like, that's a little much, but even that, that was just me trying to be funny and Mike and I in the middle of our work days when we text each other jokes. So I wouldn't cut anything. I mean, I, I wouldn't cut uh, anything from this film. No, no, no. I don't, I don't mean that. I just mean, I think oh, a if lot Billy of people, dies, if Billy dies, why does the movie take, go on? Take the rat about to, to be Matt Damon. And I think that one thing that we should consider is that the whole movie is, is about shaped, rats. Uh, is shaped around the emotion of the viewer. You're set up to not like Frank from the very get-go. Even his voiceover is inflammatory. It's not yes. something that's snuck into the movie. His his voice is full of hatred, and it fills you with some hatred or animosity towards him. And of course, the last shot is Matt Damon getting what's coming to him. And I think that's the final seduction of the viewer. I think that very much what this movie's about is not just identification with Billy, but it's understanding how one person could could pick up a gun and in fact root for the gun because you don't come into that this movie that way. You come into this movie clean. And by the end, when you see Mark Wahlberg standing there in his track shoot suit with his with his covered shoes and you know what's about to happen to Matt Damon, he says, yeah, all right, all right you get excited. And yes. that's the excitement that would lead somebody to become a cop or a criminal. And so I think that the actual beautiful thing is that there's kind of like a meta text going on, even above the level of what you're talking about, though I agree with everything you're saying, which is shaping the viewer into a different person coming out of the film than they were going in. Like, ask not for who the rat crawleth. It crawls it for crawls me. It crawls for you. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's funny because... 
when you see those booties the first time, the first time you see the film, you're like, what's going on? Like, who's you? You totally forgot about because Mark Wahlberg's already been fired by Alec Baldwin. And so you're like, okay, it's over. And then the camera goes up and the, right. Your moment is not dread. It's good. Matt Damon's going to get what's coming for him. Because remember, he has the groceries. He's coming back and the dog won't go near him. So and you're filled with loathing for him and what he's done. So the movie puts you in a place where, where you want to you want that corner of Boston to get cleaned up. And so does Mark Wahlberg and he cleans it up. And it's funny what you just said was, you know, this is what leads people to become a cop. Remember when Billy's in his therapy session and, and, and she says, well, sometimes cops come in here and they're upset they had to discharge their weapons. And he says, that's what they signed up for that. They signed up to discharge their weapons. So, you know, what would make somebody like Billy want to go to the state trooper Academy? The same thing that Matt Damon did in the beginning was, you know, to, to kind of, I'm going to clean everything up. Now, Matt Damon's going to clean it up for Frank. Leonardo DiCaprio is going to clean up for, for the, you know, the right reasons. But it's, that's, that's, that's kind of interesting is where the viewer sits in all this. But it starts with a talent and a taste for violence. You come into the movie alienated from that. Jack Nicholson is, is saying all kinds of inflammatory things. Yeah. And you think he's a violent guy. I know how to feel about him. And two and a half hours later, you're like, yeah, I hope he got it right in the face. And and so you've you've transformed and the movie lets you know what you're going to turn into or, or some version of what you're going to turn into by the time that you come out. And it does it brilliantly. And even bigger than that. So now you went meta. I'm about to go meta meta on you, Mike. You ready for this? You ready? You ready? That's what that's what movies do, right? Like that's what all movies do. Like that, that that is, that's, that's the sheriff and the bad guy. That's, you know, you, you get, you want to be on the side of the righteous guy with the gun and, and, and we are all manipulated for that. And then we go back out and and go to work and, you know, and drink bad coffee and things like that. But it's kind of funny that when you're sitting there in the dark and no one could see your face, you know, your relationship with violence is, is, is easily manipulated. And it's so gorgeous that that's what the movie that th- this movie does the thing that only movies can do, which is I 100%, I think it plays into all the archetypes that you mentioned, but it does it so beautifully and visually in this film, right? Oh, yeah. Cause what, cause what the rat crawls across is again, that same, that same view of Beacon Hill, which is it's, it's the, the ideal of man and the ideal of justice, but there's murder crawling across that ideal of justice, which, uh, you know, all, which is, all the criminals and all the cops, they all start out with a taste and a talent for violence. And you endorse that by the time you're on your way out, but it doesn't let you out free. The garden of justice has weeds and rats in it. Okay. Thanks everybody. If you have, if you still haven't seen this movie and you've sat through all these spoilers, uh, go, go watch it. It's, it's going to be the most fun two and a half hours you're going to spend this week. Uh, if you have seen it, it it's worth another watch. Bears I, watching again. I really believe that it's Leonardo DiCaprio's best performance um, and it's 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 an unbelievable amount of fun. Like we're probably making this movie sound heavier than it is. I think its brilliance is that it's totally unencumbered. The camera is like just dancing from scene to scene and everything makes sense. And it's so easy to understand how all the pieces fit together, even though it turns on a dime like this movie is a high performance machine. Yeah, when it was finished, I, I I said to myself, oh, I would have loved to have written that. Imagine what it's like to have written that and made it that tight. I mean, we can't imagine being an actor but, or a director, but imagine having written that and imagine that. It must have been something. So everything, amen to everything Mike is saying. Thanks for listening. You could follow us on Twitter at 15MINFilm. You could email us at 15MinuteFilm, spelled out at gmail.com. Uh, we got this as a request. We hope you'll send us some more. And there are more requests coming. We have more episodes coming with more requests. 
This was number two in Whack-A-Mole. We have another Whack-A-Mole film coming as well. So stay tuned for that. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time.